Amen. As you're being seated, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Next week, uh, Miss Linda is going to take us to the book of Esther. If you have Right Now Media, uh, there is a, uh, a movie, is it just called Esther, that, you're, that you could watch in warm-up? There's also another movie that you might be able to find on Pure Flix or um, YouTube called One Night with the King. Uh, that's on Esther as well. But tonight we're in Nehemiah, which is actually one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's often uh, one of the books of the Bible that, that pastors will preach out of as they're getting ready to head toward a building campaign. Uh, and so that, is, that just kind of happened tonight. I did not plan that. Uh, but it's the, the whole book is wonderful, but it, the book also holds one of my most favorite uh, passages, one of my most favorite verses in all of Scripture, and we'll get there in just a few minutes. If you can, uh, look at chapter 1. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask your, your table leader to ask question 1. So I'm going to just read, and you can read along with me, chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. During the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah. And I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that has survived the exile. If you were here for Ezra, you remember that Ezra was all about God punishing the people of Israel. Finally, God had had enough, and he allowed the Babylonian Empire to come in and, and, and take uh, Israel out of their home, out of their homes. And what began to happen in, is, in the book of Ezra is the remnant started coming back. Uh, the Lord allowed the remnant to start coming back. I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. They said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile, they're in great trouble. They're in great disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. What happened was the king that took them into exile basically demolished everything in Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple. He destroyed the wall around Jerusalem. Anything that had the fingerprint of Is the nation of Israel on it, that king uh, destroyed. And then he took the Israelites and made them captives in, in, his, own, uh, in his own realm, in his own territory. Uh, and then there was some back and forth as he get then got overcome. Uh, and then they were allowed to come back into Jerusalem. But here, uh, they're in trouble. They're in disgrace. The wall has been broken down. Its gates have been burned. This is Nehemiah praying, praying verse 4. When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. And I said, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly towards you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. 
They are your servants and your people. You redeemed them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. At the time, I was the king's cupbearer. Question number one, without necessarily knowing much about the context, what does this prayer tell you about Nehemiah? Talk about it in your groups right where you are. On your mark, get set, go. also lead into prayer emphasis number one after you've answered the question for a minute.
30 seconds. All right. Let me ask, let me ask, what, what do you learn from Nehemiah out of this? Just go ahead. Anybody, what, what, just the, the first chapter, his opening prayer to the Lord. What, what's something that you learn about him or from him? He's humble and he seeks God's direction. He's, say it again. He's humble and he seeks God's direction. He's humble and he seeks God direction, God's direction. Alexis. His heart is broken for the people, not just because of their plight, but notice what he does not gloss over. He does not gloss over their sin. His, he, he hurts for their plight, but he recognizes what got them into the plight in the first place. And his brokenness is because his own people have walked away from the Lord. That they have a track record of walking away from the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nehemiah takes it so personally upon himself. There, that is, Travis, your answer was, he, it's, he's humble. That is, that's just a humility. I mean, he is seeking the Lord in this. Okay, what do we need to do? What, what, what can you do in this? What else? Anybody else get anything different from, from him? Ma'am? He's got a great faith. He's praying, believing God's going to forgive. He's coming to the Lord. Here's what I also, we, don't, we kind of gloss over this real quick, but he, he's smart. The man knows his law. The man knows his scriptures. He's telling the Lord what the Lord said to Moses. Not that the Lord has forgotten, but we talk about, that's part of the whole reason we're doing this series through the psalm. It's why, why we gave us a, a, a devotional book. It's why I'm hoping that some people are trying to read a psalm every day. Why not speak back to the Lord what he's already spoken and anointed and ordained? That's powerful stuff. So here's Nehemiah talking to the Lord. He's saying, Lord, I remember when you said. I remember that you told us. And it's not in a, hey, I told you, you know, you said this. It's not like my kids do with me, but you said, you know, the whole selective memory thing, you know. But it's more of a, hey, I remember you, you, you said you'd be faithful. I'm faithful and I believe you say this. The very last verse tells us what he does. What, what does he do? He's a cupbearer. He is not a prophet. He is not a priest. He's a a cupbearer. One of the books that I wrote said he's not the candidate that one might expect, but he's been positioned similar to Esther, not to steal your thunder there, Linda. But he's been he's got a position for such a time as this that he's got proximity to the king. Artaxerxes trusts him so that when he goes to Artaxerxes to tell Artaxerxes that his heart is to help rebuild the wall, again, he's a cupbearer. He's not a construction guy. He's not an engineer. He's a cupbearer. But he's, he's determined that the Lord has told him that he's going to build the wall. Look at chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, first, first eight verses. During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I've never been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why are you, why, why are you sad? You aren't sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, may the king live forever. 
Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king asked me, what's your request? So I prayed to the God of of the heavens and answered the king, if it pleases the king. So let me pause there real quick. Do you notice that he doesn't go off, go to his prayer closet and have a conversation with God? Can you picture what's happening? He's, he's standing before the king, and his mind is going 90 to nothing, even when he's talking to the king. His mind and his heart belong to the Lord. His mouth is addressing the king, but his mind and his heart belong to the Lord. So I prayed to the God of the heavens and answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. The summary statement of Ezra was restoring. The summary word for Nehemiah is rebuilding. But both have two different things going on. In, in Ezra, it was about restoring the nation of Israel to the land. In Nehemiah, it's rebuilding the nation of Israel. And literally, as the, as the temple and as the wall will be rebuilt, it is the physical semblance of the nation of Israel building rebuilt. That's kind of a summary statement of that. The king with the queen seated beside him, verse 6, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? I, I guess the cupbearer is a very, you know, important position. So I gave him a definite time, and it pleased the king to send me. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters written to the governors of the region west of the Euphrates so that they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. In other words, not only do I need permission to do this, but I want blessings so that everybody else knows that I'm working for you. How, how wise is this guy? I'm, I'm, I'm here to give the God of Israel all glory, but I want you to get some benefit from it too. I serve you as well. He's found a healthy balance of his allegiances. And then it says at the very end, the the last part of verse 8, the king granted my request. Here it is. For the gracious hand of my God was on me. May may that be the testimony of First Baptist in the Atlantic, that the gracious hand of God is on me is on us. Would you have somebody in your group read chapter 4, the first 14 verses, and answer question number 2, and then have somebody else read 15 through 23, and answer question number 3. You're going to read the first, this is chapter 4, have somebody read aloud verse, the first 14 verses, and answer question number 2, and then read verses 15 through 23, and answer, answer question number 3. On your mark, get set, go.
If you haven't already, go to 15 through 23 and answer question number three. Read 15 through 23 and answer question number three. Two more minutes. All right, I'm going to ask you to do prayer emphasis number two in a minute, but I want to ask, what, what's the opposition that Nehemiah is facing as you, as you talk about Sam Ballot and Toriah and all these guys? What's, what's, the, what's the opposition? Just describe it. What are, you, what are you seeing in the passage? They don't want him to rebuild. They want him to rebuild. They don't want him to rebuild. Why? They don't. He, Jay just said they don't want. They don't want the relationship with God, the glory back. What? What else? There's some, there's some surface things that are there too. 
there's really one word that kind of summarizes the, the whole thing. This is a cultural issue. The culture that has been established doesn't want this other culture and this other God, capital G, coming in because it means they're going to have to change the way that they've been. And they, they, they're running the show right now, and they don't want, this, they don't want Israel to have their, have their dominance back. How do we face opposition? It's, it's often cultural. And by that, I don't mean cultural as in American and, and Western or this, that. I'm talking about the Christian culture versus the secular culture. And I've said it before, I say it Sunday after Sunday, we're not supposed to look like the world. We're so, Julie and I just had this conversation today as we are, um, we, we're kind of in that conversation where we've told our children, you know, it's not an invasion of privacy when I look on your phone. Number one, I'm paying for your phone. Number two, I'm the parent. And what we've been trying to teach the girls, and, and, and uh, don't get, do not get me wrong, we've been blessed. My girls are sinners, but we've got, we've got good girls who are, who are growing. But we've often told them, you may like that song, or your friends may like that song, but the reality is the more you listen to those lyrics, the more you're becoming deadened to some of those words. And you're allowing the culture to influence you. So let's make better choices. It's why I had to give up some authors. I said this a couple of weeks ago, I love to read. But I had, and I was growing with one author, man, some of his, his original stuff was fabulous. But you get later and later and later and I got this one book where the F word was literally every page. And at first I was glossing over it. But when I'm glossing over it, I'm becoming numb to it. And eventually that's going to lead to it possibly slipping out of my mouth. No, it hasn't and it doesn't. But I'm just saying we numb ourselves when we let the culture influence us, when we're supposed to be the ones influencing the culture. And that's what's happening here is there's a culture war going on, a Christian, a God-fearing culture, and a secular culture. Uh, what's the response? These guys are opposed. They're, they're, ready to do, they're ready to do battle. What's the response? It happens in right in verse 15. What happens in verse 15? When we realized what? When we, when we realized that God's got this, <laughs> we turned around, we went back to work. But really, two things happened. What's the summary word for, for Nehemiah? Rebuild. It was restore with Ezra. It's rebuild with, with Nehemiah, rebuilding the nation of Israel. They go back to work, but they really divide into two camps. You have two groups of people. What are they doing? One group is working, and one group is security. Or, if you go back to the culture of the day, one's working, one's warring. As they re-become a nation again, what do they need to make sure they have? Because this is a culture of dominance. This is a culture of doing battle. David, first thing, when the kings went out to war. This was a regular season. This was like sporting seasons. Like we have hockey, we have baseball. We have, they had battle. <laughs> you know? They had territory takeovers. You know, so here as the nation is rebuilding and they, they see this, they have this confidence in the fact that God's got this, they go back to work building the wall, but then half of the group says, all right, we're going to defend ourselves and we're going to be ready. God's got it, but we're going to be wise. I think very, way too often we go into this Christian life and we say God has it and then we lose all forms of common sense. 
God's going to do this so we don't do anything. And God blesses those who bless themselves. That is not a scripture. That is not in the Bible. But God does reward honest labor. God does reward faithful labor. God strengthens those. And that's what the, that's what the nation of Israel is doing. I'm going to give you just because I want to get to my favorite verse. And I'm going to, we're, going to, we're going to dismiss a little early because we've got a, a team of, of we've, got a little, we've got about the B, not that they're the B team. Some folks have stepped up because we had some sick people in our normal children's area tonight. So we're going to, going to give them a little bit of a reprieve. Um, take, take just a few minutes and, and, and read through prayer emphasis number two and then pray together. And then we're going to do one more verse and then we'll go. So pray together, prayer emphasis number two. Read that together and then take some time to pray.
another minute. turn to chapter 8 if you'll turn to chapter 8 we'll end we'll close with this this is one of my favorite three or four of my most favorite verses in all of scripture chapter 6 they finished the wall at the end of chapter 6 the the wall is finished the wall is rebuilt and chapter 7 the exiles the remnant returns so they've been banished, they've been exiled, they have been foreigners in a land that's not theirs, they have been immersed in a culture that is not their heritage. The place that they lived was demolished. The temple, their homes, the temple, uh, the wall was demolished. What can you imagine that they have, they, if the wall, the temple, and their culture, if, if all of that has, has been robbed of them, what can you imagine that they have not experienced during the length of the exile. Presence of God by his word. And so in chapter 8, it says, When the seventh month came and, and the Israelites had settled in their own towns, the people went to Ezra, and they asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord God had given Israel. They, they sought Ezra out. They, they, they longed to hear from God's word. So they went to the scribe Ezra and they said, we want you to come and we want you to read the law. And skip down to verse five. And Ezra opened the book and, <laughs> sorry. And Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Here's what I love about that passage right there. Sorry. Here's what I love about that passage. If he didn't tell him to do anything, he didn't wave his arm. He didn't say, let's stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. He opened it and they stood. But it gets better. And he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, amen, amen. And they were, they're agreeing with what the word of the Lord says. And then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Here's what I love about this passage, is as they are being rebuilt, as their city is being rebuilt physically. They are being rebuilt as a people of God. And one of the very first demonstrations of them being rebuilt as the people of God is Ezra is done nothing more than opened the book and read out of it. And their number one response is that they stand and then they fall prostrate before God. 
Oh, that we would be a people who respond to the movement of the Spirit of God. Milton, would you close us in a word of prayer as we close our evening?